that he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. I used to tell our people, I said, you can take a globe on a pendulum, and you can spin it east, and it'll never stop going east. You can take a globe on a pendulum and spin it west, and it'll never stop going west. It just continues to go. That's how far he's cast our sins from us. They're not only gone, they're still going tonight. They're still going. I'm glad tonight. One preacher said that in the book of Micah, chapter 7, it says that he's buried our sins in the depths of the sea. Because he knows the devil likes to fish there, he's put up a sign that says, no fishing devil. No fishing. I do greet you tonight in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Sweetest name in seraph's song. I greet you tonight in that name. I have so enjoyed this time with you. Paul told the church at Philippi that he had them in their heart, his heart. My experience here in your beautiful state, your beautiful towns and cities, this valley, this area, I'll carry it with me in my heart. And I'll carry you in my heart as well. I had the privilege to go with Pastor Luke today. And we, uh, we went into downtown Lodi and saw all the fixing up that is taking a place and I guess they're turning that into a little Napa Valley. It's beautiful. And what was the place where we ate? Dancing Fox. I never saw the fox dancing, but, but I'll tell you what, I did taste the bread pudding. And it is almost as good as you know what. A Chick-fil-A milkshake. Without the cream and chair. Oh, it was good. And then from there, we traced the steps of this church and the ministry of Brother Tim Pollock. And it only reaffirmed in my heart the miracle that God has done here on these 12 acres. As I went into Stockton, I went to the first location. We went to the second location, saw the home where Brother Tim lived and his family. Went to the school where you met for quite a few years. Then on to the office complex that I believe you pretty much permeated that. Back to here. Back to Noah's Ark out here. And it is evident to me that Two things are evident to me. The number one, that Jesus has led you all the way. That was evident. And number two, that the best days for the home church are still ahead. That's got to be a gratifying feeling for you, Tim. That's got to be a gratifying feeling for you. May the Lord bless you. May he bless you all. Now, what you're going to need... In the days that lie ahead as you finish this building, as you take this church to the next plateau, what you're going to need is the wisdom of God. 
You're going to need wisdom. And with that in mind tonight, I want you to turn with me to the book of James. Let's go back into these green pastures of James's epistle, the half-brother of Jesus. One of the early pastors. As a matter of fact, the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that grand and great church that we preach so often about. And let's just sort of graze in these green pastures tonight. Let's, let's learn something from the Word of God about wisdom. You do know that in chapter 3, don't turn there, but James basically tells us there's two kinds of wisdom. Heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Divine wisdom and devilish wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom, and you don't have to read it now, but when you do read it, it is in James chapter 3, verse 13, down through verse 17. He talks about those two different kinds of wisdom and how that all men operate by one of those two. Even saved men sometimes find themselves falling prey to earthly wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom. But if we're going to be blessed of God, if we're going to see His hand of blessing, we need to learn how vital heavenly Divine wisdom is. In Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it's verse 12, Solomon said this. He said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all of thine understanding, get wisdom. Now, I think it's right here that we need to stop and clarify what the difference between wisdom and knowledge is. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Knowledge is what we gain through going to libraries, reading books, attending seminars, listening to lectures. We, we, we gain knowledge, and boy, there's nothing wrong with that. Although without wisdom, knowledge has a tendency to puff us up, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Whereas knowledge is the accumulation of facts, wisdom is the ability and it's the God-given ability to appropriate and apply those facts, to arrange those facts in our life to such a degree that we'll experience the blessing of God upon our life. It is against that backdrop that James in the first 12 verses of this epistle in the first chapter writes and instructs us about wisdom. Well, you're not going to believe this, but my lens fell out of my glasses. And so I'm going to have to operate from memory tonight. There you go. There you go. Let's read these well, I want to read one verse for the sake of time. One verse. I can't see it, but I want to read it. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse number 5. Look what it says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Let's read that again. If any of you lack wisdom, and remember we've defined wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to appropriate knowledge. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. And I told my people this is the only time it's right to be a liberal. (laughs) Who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. I want to focus my thoughts tonight, dearly beloved, on this this exhortation that James gives us about wisdom when he says, let him ask of God. That's where my focus is going to be tonight because... What we're going to see from the scripture this evening is that unlike knowledge, wisdom can't be attained at a library. Wisdom cannot be attained in an encyclopedia. You won't find wisdom in a lecture. You won't find, not the kind of wisdom James is talking about here, you won't find wisdom in a seminar, a lecture of some kind. What James is telling us here that if you and I need wisdom and if we desire wisdom, all we need to do is ask God for it because after all, is not God the source of divine wisdom? Best illustration I can give you of that is in 1 Kings chapter 4 when God came to Solomon, the man who wrote the book of Proverbs, who gave us that very wise treatise. In the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said to Solomon, he said, Solomon, and listen now, listen very carefully. Ask what she shall have from me and I will give it thee. And all James is doing is is concluding what the Old Testament teaches us. and, And that is, dearly beloved, when we need wisdom, all we need to do is ask God. Tonight, dearly beloved, I want to take this verse and this text from the contextual paragraph here is verses 1 through 12. And I want to break it down into four parts. I I want you and I tonight, first of all, to look at the, the cause for this prayer for wisdom. Why do you and I need to pray for wisdom? Well, it says in verse number 5, because we lack it. There's a little town in southern Louisiana that a good friend of mine used to pastor in. It's called Dulac. Believe me, when you go there, they do lack. And I use that as an illustration. I told our people, I said, you know why we need to pray for wisdom? Because every one of us lack it. Hey, is it apparent tonight that nobody has a corner on the market of wisdom? It is of a truth tonight that none of us have arrived. None of us have attained. As a matter of fact, Paul said that in Philippians chapter 
number three when he said, I, I've not even apprehended that which I'm apprehended for. But the cause for this prayer for wisdom is, is that we lack it. He says that in verse 5. It's right there in the text. But not only do we want to look at the cause for this prayer for wisdom, but we want to look at the context of this prayer for wisdom. The backdrop of these 12 verses that, that tells us, dearly beloved, not only why we need to ask God for wisdom, but just what it is that we need to ask God for wisdom for. And I think what you'll notice in these first 12 verses is the word temptation is used twice. Now temptation is used in two ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's talking about the tribulations of life and sometimes it's talking about the solicitations of life. Here in the context of these verses, in verses 1 through 12, James is talking about the tribulations of life. Those temptations that we face, dearly beloved, that in reality are tribulations allowed by God, sent by God, designed by God to fulfill His eternal purpose in our life. And we need wisdom to see that, to look in the shadows and to see beneath the surface and to have a greater comprehension of what God is doing in our life. Why well, he says it very clearly here. Verse 2 says, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, the next verse defines what these temptations are. Verse 3 says, knowing this, the trying, the trying of your faith. Much like what Paul went with his thorn in the flesh. Much like what Jacob went through in his running from Esau. The trial of our faith. And know this, dearly beloved, that when you go through trials, standing in the shadow somewhere is God with a divine purpose to make you like Jesus. He has thoughts towards you. Not of evil, not of good. Not of evil, but of good. To accomplish, Jeremiah said, his work in your life. But look on down in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. And then the very next phrase defines that. For when he is tried. It is evident here that the context of his prayer for wisdom is that you and I need to pray for wisdom in light of the tribulations of life. Those trials, those tribulations that sometimes God allows, sometimes God even sends them. You know all that Job went through, did you know God not only allowed that, God had a purpose and God sent that? Because at the end of Job, I love what he says, he said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of mine ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job was a perfect man, one that was upright and eschewed evil. He was spiritually mature, and yet God still saw something that he wanted to do in Job's life. And he used a tribulation to cultivate that, to, to make that happen in Job's life. To open his eyes and let him see God in a clearer way. Let him know God in a deeper way. Paul testified that when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. 
But I not only want you to see the cause for this prayer for wisdom and the context of this prayer for wisdom, but you and I need to see the consequence of this prayer for wisdom. It's right there in verse 5. Boy, I wish I had my glasses. Oh, the old devil fights, doesn't he? But I'm going to preach it if it kills me and you both. What is the consequence? It shall be given him. You know what he's saying? That if you're saved, if you're a child of God, because see, the only prayer God will hear from a lost sinner is God be merciful to me, a sinner. Or prayers like Cornelius prayed when he was seeking after God. That's the only prayer that, that God will hear from the lost sinner. And sometimes God might even answer consequential prayers in the life of a sinner because Paul said that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. But in the context of praying saints, dearly beloved, in order for you to, 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 to activate heaven, in order for you, dearly beloved, to connect with heaven, you got to be saved. And not only do you have to be saved, but you got to be right with God. Because 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that when you husbands are not right with your wives and vice versa, it'll hinder your prayers. David the psalmist said that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But what James is saying here is that is that if your heart is right with God and you're saved and, and you're a child of God, when you ask God for wisdom, this is a prayer that he will never fail to answer. God will always answer this prayer. He didn't say it might be given. He didn't even say it may be given. He said it shall be given. Woo! Glory be to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Thank God for those ironclad promises of the word that grow up out of the fertile soil of Scripture like a steel beam that stands tall in our hearts and lives. But then fourthly, in this context, you and I need to see there is a condition for this prayer for wisdom. And look at verse 6. But... Oh, the conjunction but. I love it when God butts into our life. He butted into my life when he saved me according to Ephesians chapter 2. I was lost and in, I was dead in my sin. I, I, I was depraved in my sin. I, I was disobedient in my sin. And then verse 4 says, but God. Aren't you glad that God butted into your life when you were lost? And, and God confronted you with your lost condition. And he, he drew you to his side and he saved you by his magnanimous grace. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad at those pivotal times in our life when, when we seem to be on the, on the cusp of failure, God goes to button in our life again and showing himself strong and magnifying himself. And he says here, it shall be given unto you. But there's a condition. You got to ask in faith. And this will tie somewhat into what I preached last night. You must ask. In faith. Now, most of God's promises in the Word are conditional. Did you know that? 
Do you know the promise of revival, national revival in Second Well, let me say it like Donald Trump says it. Two Chronicles. Feel like the president. <laughs> no, I'd have to step down to do that. <laughs> I know I'm not going to do my lips like this. I didn't come here to talk about Donald. I came here to talk about Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the promise of national revival is like many of God's promises and it can be verbalized like this. If you I will. If you I will. Or the conjunction but. I'll give it to you. But you got to ask him first. So those are the four things we want to study tonight. We want to graze in these green pastures. We want to eat of the delectables of these verses and leave here fatter for it, nourished, stronger, wiser. Number one, what is the cause of this prayer for wisdom? Well, verse 5 says, if any man lack it, let him ask of God. Let me say this cause is congregational in nature. You know what he's saying? He's saying from the oldest adult to the smallest child. And not, 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 not just if you need wisdom, because there's going to come a time when all of us are going to need wisdom for the various choices and decisions in life. And might I say, dearly beloved, it's kind of like the storms of life. You're always in one of three positions. You're always either going into one, in one, or coming out of one. There's never going to be a time in your life where there's not a divine need for wisdom in your life. And I'm glad you don't just have to be Pastor Tim or Pastor Luke or Evangelist Mark Thrift. You can be the smallest child in the nursery or the smallest child in the beginner department. You can be the oldest adult in the adult class. And if you belong to Jesus and your heart is right with God, you can ask Him for it and He'll give it to you. It is congregational in nature. Woo! Oh, don't get on to me for cheerleading. I've been to Dallas Cowboy games. And you can't even hardly hear for all the cheerleading going on. A lot of them are supposed to be Christians. I don't know what they're doing there instead of church on Sunday, but they're there. You say, how would you know if you weren't there, preacher? That's none of your business. <laughs> I went on Monday night or Thursday night. <laughs> this cause for this prayer for wisdom, this lacking of wisdom is congregational in nature. Not only that, it's critical in nature. Because he said not only... If any of you had said, let him ask of God. And brother, I'm here to tell you, if God has it, we need it. And that constitutes the critical nature of this cause for the prayer for wisdom. 
If God has it, and I'm here to tell you, friend, you won't find it in Washington. You won't find it in Sacramento, and you won't find it in Austin. You're not going to find it in the White House. You're not going to find it in the State House. I'm talking about as far as attaining it. Yes, there, there have been people in government that were wise people because they knew God. I, I love the words of John Adams, our second president. He said concerning the republic, and by the way, America's not a democracy. Did you know that? A democracy is ruled by the will of the people. A republic is ruled by law. And that's why the Constitution is so important. That's why our Pledge of Allegiance says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States and to the republic for which it stands. You know what? John Adams said this, no republic can last without a righteous influence of the scripture upon it. Don't tell me that Thomas Jefferson did not want the church to have an influence on government. He did. And this America will fall, friend, as she puts the Bible out of our schools and prayer out of our schools. I told the people in Texas, I said, it's amazing. You won't let me read the Bible in school and pray with the school children, but you want me to go into the prisons and do it. If you let me read it in school, I may not have to take it to the prison. That's wisdom. Shows you how foolish our politicians are. Educated fools, by and large. Yeah, I said it. I didn't stutter. I'll say it again. This calls for this prayer for wisdom. The fact that we lack it is not only congregation and nature, if any of you, but it is critical. Let him ask of God. Like we need his grace. We need his wisdom. You hear me tonight. You mamas and daddies that are raising children. You need the wisdom of God. There's not a harder job in this world than raising children. Especially when they turn teenagers. They become strange creatures. All of a sudden, they know more than you know and than you've ever known. And then somewhere around 25, they come crawling back and they all of a sudden they remember how smart dad, well, some of them do, how smart mom and daddy are. And I'm telling you, I raised four of them, Joni and I did. And the hardest job I've ever done is not pastoring a church. The hardest job I've ever done is loving my family and raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Having answers to their questions when they come to me. Helping them and enabling them to make the right choice about what job to take, what school to go to, who to marry, who not to marry. All these things require the wisdom of God. It's critical. We have it. You husbands, listen to me. It's critical that you have the wisdom of God to lead your wife. Oh, you believe in that? Yes, yes. I believe it because the Bible teaches it. And I will not apologize for that. 
you men ought to be. I told them this morning, you ought to be the spiritual leaders of your home. I didn't say you're the most spiritual person. Thank God for the spiritual women in our church. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of churches in America that would fold if we didn't have spiritual praying women. But it's not a matter of who's more spiritual. It's a matter of God's put you in a place of leadership to lead your wife, to lead your children, and to lead your home. And you know what you need? You need the wisdom of God. You, you need the wisdom of God to know what church to join and to take them to, to know what job to take. There's a lot of men taking jobs today based on the salary and they don't even consider whether or not there's a Bible preaching church and a fellowship there for their families to flourish and grow in when they make those decisions. You young people, you millennials, hear me. I'm not going to send you a text or a fax. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not on your Facebook account. I'm not even on Facebook, so I don't even know anything about it. I'm just going to get right in your face and tell you. You're going to be making some choices here, you 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that are going to determine your future. And one of the major choices is who you're going to marry. Wisdom tells us don't marry outside of God's grace. Marry in God's grace. Because my daddy used to tell us that if you marry a lost person, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law. Because Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He told those Pharisees that. It is critical that we pray for wisdom because what we need only God has it and God said the only way you're going to get it is if you ask me for it. No wonder James said in chapter 4 and verse 4 of this epistle, you have not because ye ask not. But then there's the context of this prayer for wisdom. I will not tarry long here. Because we know already that the backdrop of these verses is the subject of trial and tribulation. But the first thing I want you to see here is the, the purpose that God has in our trials. The purpose that God has in our trials. Look what he says in verse number three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's very important we understand patience here. Because what happens is when we lack wisdom, we get impatient in our trials and we run before the blessing comes. We get impatient in our trials, we become bitter, and we go the other direction before those trials mature in our life and, and God is able to cultivate and bring to fruition what he's doing in us. He said, but let patience have her perfect work. Notice that word perfect there, it means maturing. It means to mature. The word perfect in relation to the saints is never sinless perfection. Don't believe what some tell you that we can live a sinlessly perfect life and if we don't, we've lost our salvation. The problem with that is that's not in the scripture. That's not in the Bible. But let patience have her perfect work, he says. Let's read on. Oh, you read on, I'll guess. 
that you may be perfect, that is mature, and entire, that is complete, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. And if you lack the patience, then what you need is the wisdom of God to see beneath the surface, beyond the trials and tribulation, that behind it, God is doing a work in your life to mold you and to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ that there might be Christ's conformity in our life. It is like the story of the old sculptor who was standing there one day sculpting a stone. And the little boy came by and said, Mr. Sculptor, what is that you're sculpting? The sculptor says, I'm sculpting a horse. He was from Texas. I'm sculpting a horse. He said, well, Mr. Sculptor, how are you going to take this huge stone and make a horse out of it? He said, well, I'm going to take his hammer and his chisel. I'm going to chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. You know, that's what God's doing in our life with these trials and tribulations. And we need the wisdom of God to understand that, to see that. We need the wisdom of God to have patience in order to wait upon the Lord. For truly, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. They'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, believe it or not, I was young at one time. And I was my daddy's associate like Luke here. I worked with my daddy twice, and the second time I worked with him, I was out front engaging in one of my responsibilities. That was to change the plexiglass sign. We didn't have the nice iPads and the phones where we can just zip, 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 and poof, there's a sign. I was out there changing, and this gentleman comes by and stops, Tim, and I can tell when he gets out of his truck, he's got this proud look on his face. I can tell, Mark, this isn't good. This guy thinks he knows something, and he may know something, but most of the time when people know something, they're not aware of it. And, you know, Solomon talked about a proud look. This guy had it. And I knew, Tim, that one of us was going down. <laughs> because I was young, impetuous. I didn't have no time for any foolishness. And I'm out there changing the sign. This guy walks up to me and he looks at me. He says, I want to talk to you about that steeple over there. I said, what steeple? He said, one on your church there. He had been reading a book, I think, called The Two Babylons, and he went into all the history of the steeple and how wicked and devilish and demonic it was. And I finally stopped him. I said, stop, stop right there. I was getting in gear. I was getting in hammering and chiseling mode. I said, stop it right there. There's people all around us dying and going to hell, and you're worried about a steeple? I said, mister, you're crippled too high for crutches. <laughs> yeah, I said it. I got downright insulting. 
And it's not good. Well, anyway, standing in the shadows was my daddy, and he comes over there. And any time he shamed us as children, he'd make a noise like this. You know, I was wanting him to... That guy. But oh no, it was aimed at me. It was bouncing off of me. I knew that said lecture was coming my way. And all he said to me was this. You, you failed that test, son. I said, what are you talking about, Daddy? You know what this guy was talking about? Do you know how foolish he sounded? He said, son, don't you know that God sends people like that by like heavenly sandpaper to rub away at the edges of your life? And you need the wisdom of God to understand that. God's before us. Who can be against us? But even in being for us, God allows contrary winds and God allows resistant forces to come into our life to knock away everything that doesn't look like Christ that he might perfect us and complete us. And we need the wisdom of God to have the patience to wait on the Lord. But not only do we see the purpose of these tribulations, but we see the praise of these tribulations. Verse 2, count it all joy. Or shout about it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You see, when you understand that behind these things is the hand of God, and that behind these things is God's plan and God's purpose, I'm not saying you got to grin like a Cheshire cat, but you can say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. You can Praise Him whether you feel like it or not or whether the circumstances call for it or not. Count it all joy. Brother Roloff used to say this. If you don't feel like shouting, shout on credit. The bill will come due. In other words, there'll be a time when you do feel like it. But whether you feel like it or not is not important. Whether the circumstances dictate it or not, praise is always appropriate for him. But not only the purpose of these trials and the praise of these trials, but what about the prize or the promise, we could say, or the product for the sake of alliteration? Look at verse 12. Blessed, and that word blessed means happy. That goes back to the praise. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. <laughs> I know you thought, are you going to sing tonight? I am, right here. L.L. Roloff used to sing it like this. When the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. <laughs> We shall wear a crown. Yes, we shall wear a crown. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown in the new Jerusalem. Wear a crown. Wear a crown. Wear a bright and shining crown. <laughs> you see, one day when we get to heaven and we see 
what eye hath not seen nor ear hath heard that God has prepared for those that love him, friend. I'm here to tell you, it'll solicit a praise and a song. We'll be able to sing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus worth every mile, worth every trial, worth every adverse wind, worth every contrary circumstance. It brings me to the third thought, the consequence of this prayer for wisdom, and that is, and it shall be given him. Elementary, dear Watson, <laughs> as Mr. Holmes would say, it shall be given him. You know what God's saying? This is a prayer that I'll never fail to answer. If you know me, and you're my child, and you recognize your need, and your heart is right, I'll answer this prayer every time. In other words, I'll never say no. He might say wait, but he'll never say no. It might not be the right time, and I told the men this morning with God, timing is everything. Timing, for it's truly they that wait upon the Lord. Now, how is he going to give it to him? We know it's an ironclad promise, but there's three words here that magnify how God gives wisdom. Number one, he gives it generally. It says to all men. <laughs> he is an equal opportunity wisdom dispenser. He is not a respecter of person. There is no age limit. There is no credentials requirement. If you ask him, he'll give it to you. To all men. He gives it generally. That means to everybody who asks for it and qualifies, he'll never say no. Number two, and I know you were waiting on this word liberal. This is the only time it's right to be liberal. I'm so conservative. If you knew how I really felt, you wouldn't even want to hear me preach. We'll not even get into that. We'll just stay away from that. But let me say, he not only gives it generally, he gives it generously. That's what the word liberal means. It means I'm going to give you not only what you need, but a whole lot more. And it goes back to Ephesians 3 and 20 where he said this, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we might ask. God says, I'm going to dump a load on you. You'll never get over. You'll never use it all up. I'm going to give it to you liberally. Best illustration I can give of that is my brother Robert, my older brother. Both my brothers were pastors. The Lord took my middle brother home back in 2011. He was cutting a tree down in his son-in-law's yard and it fell on him. The wind was blowing. He lived four hours. I miss him. He was special. He and I shared pulpits together. We shared a love for baseball together. The first ten baseball games I went to after he died, I bought him a ticket. And when people would come up and say, is that seat taken? I'd say, yeah, that's my brother's. It was my way of grieving, my way of dealing with it.
But my older brother Robert's special. Because, you know, you know, Mama, when you're growing up, Mama knows how to say no, and so does Daddy, too. At least you need to learn to say that word, Mama and Daddy. Good for you kids. Anastasia. Where's Anastasia? Every time I ask Anastasia a question or even make a statement to her, she says, no. <laughs> and her mom and daddy were saying, don't say that to Brother Mark. No. I said, no, 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 no. It's good for her to learn to say that word. Good for her to be able to say no. And you parents, you do need to learn how to say no to your kids sometimes. But boy, if I really had a need, I'd go to Robert. I don't have any change in my pockets. I am a poor Baptist preacher. Please help me. Man, I'm just kidding. I'm a child of the king. I've got riches in me to eat the world knows nothing of. I said, Robert, I need, I want to buy a candy bar. You know, Tim, he wouldn't just take 25. I can remember when you could buy a Coke for a dime, two candy bars for a nickel apiece, and five pieces of penny bubble gum for a quarter on the north side of Houston. I can remember that. Well, you can't even sniff the front door with a quarter now, buddy. <laughs> I said, Robert, I'd like to get me a Coke. By the way, when you go to Colombia and you speak Spanish, don't tell them you want to. If they ask you, ¿Qué, ¿qué quieres tomar? What do you want to drink? Don't say, quiero una coca. <laughs> I said that in Colombia. and I said that in, in Bogota. And you know what they told me? No vendemos coca aquí. No tenemos drogas. We don't have drugs here. We don't sell cocaine here. You're talking about avergüenza, buddy. That was me. I was ashamed. And, and uh, every time I'd ask Robert, he wouldn't just take out what I needed. He'd take everything out of his pocket and give it to me. This is how God gives wisdom. He doesn't just give you what you need. He takes everything out and gives it to you. Liberally. He gives generally. He gives generously. He gives graciously. I love that word, abradeth not. What it means is he won't rebuke you. He's not going to say, how dare you ask me for that? Who do you think you are coming in here asking for wisdom? He says, I'll not rebuke you. You like football? I do. They're feminizing it, but I sure like the, I like the rough part of it. You ever seen a stiff arm? Old Billy Sims out of the University of Oklahoma. He could stiff arm you in the jaw and he could put your jaw on the back of your neck. I mean, buddy, he could hold you at arm's bay, buddy. That's what this word means. I'll not hold you at arm's length. I'll let you own in. I'll graciously give you not only what you ask for, but more than what you ask for. And then there's the condition. But let him ask in faith. Like I told you last night, why is faith so important here? Well, Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In prayer, faith is the only thing that God responds to. In giving, faith is the only thing that God responds to. 
Faith is that element by which the elders obtained a good report. And it's no different for you and I. There's two reasons why faith is the condition here in this prayer for wisdom. Number one, faith believes. I love what he says there in verse 7. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Tell me if I'm right or wrong now. Because you can see and I can't. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I'll tell you why faith is so important as far as the condition for this prayer for wisdom. Because faith believes. Faith does not just believe what it can see or what it can touch or taste or feel. Faith believes on the evidence of the word of God. Faith is not some blind element that we, that we, that we sort of imperceptibly follow through life. No, faith is the evidence of things unseen. It is the substance. It's evidence and it's substance. And the evidence and the substance that we have that outside of what man can see, feel, hear, touch, and taste is the Word of God. You can act upon His Word. You can take God at His Word. You can believe Him that when God says if you ask for wisdom, He'll give it to you. You can believe that. But if you waver, you're like the double-minded man that's unstable in all of his ways. If you don't have a good foundation of faith under you, your Christian life will fluctuate. Your Christian life will be up and down. I love that old song says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Faith believes. But it not only believes, it receives. Look at verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In other words, the only people who receive is those who believe. He said, preacher, this is just too simple. This just can't be this way. No, that's why it is this way. Because it's simple. That's why a lot of people miss God in grace and in salvation. They're looking for something hard to do. They think it's hard to get to heaven. The only thing that's hard about it is you get into the place where you see how simple it is. And yes, it is this simple. You and I recognize that in life we come to a lot of crossroads. You and I come to a lot of places of choices and decisions and sometimes it's hard to know what we do and we need to swallow our pride and admit we don't just need the counsel of men though we're grateful for that. We need the wisdom of God friend. You won't find it in a how to do it book. There's no formula for it. You go into the throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, and he'll give it to you. It is that simple. But you must believe in order to receive. Now, in this auditorium tonight, there's a whole group of people that is up against some difficult choices. Some of you are about to make some choices about a job, a church, a school, Maybe who to marry, who not to marry. Some of you are about to make a choice about your finances. 
Believe it or not, God was around before Wall Street became around. Now, I'm going to say something. It's probably going to sound political, but I don't care. As in Mississippi, they say, I don't give a rip. You know, God has a formula for taking care of his church. It's called giving. And the low end of that is tithe. Don't tell me that tithing was under the law because Abraham paid tithes before the law was ever written. Tithing is a part of our worship. If you really love him, you're going to want to give. And if you don't want to, something's not right with you. And God designed the tithe to take care of his work. And anything above that, dearly beloved, God promises to give it back to you, pressed down, good measure, running over. And I wonder when our government's going to figure out, listen now, this is brilliant. This is so deep that you cannot spend more than you make. I remember when Mr. Reagan, your governor, and our president, God bless his memory, I loved him. Well, I'll never forget the night he said goodbye to us in the White House. I loved him. You don't like that? Well, just take a baby aspirin and go to bed on it. <laughs> but I remember him saying, you know, I think back about these eight years and our successes and our failures, and I have some regrets and I have some joys. But all in all, and as only Mr. Reagan could, he tilted that head sideways and with that very familiar smile, he said, when I think of it, not bad. God bless you, America, and good night. I cried. Was he perfect? No. Was he a Christian? I don't even know. It doesn't matter. We weren't electing a pastor. We were electing a president. But you know something? He supposed a line-item tax, a single-payer tax. And all these brilliant people who've got us in such bad debt that if China ever called it, we'd be in trouble tonight. Laughed at him. Yet I think about how God plans to keep his church afloat and keep his church out of debt, and it's a single, it is a single-payer system. It doesn't matter what you make. Everybody gives the same proportionately. And God said, I'll take that and use that and take care. You know, it sounds like maybe our government needs a little wisdom. And I'm going to tell you, Alan Greenspan doesn't have it. This book right here's got it. You don't have to be smart to run the government. You have to be wise. You don't have to be smart to be a mother and daddy. You need to be wise. You don't have to be smart to be a good steward you need to be wise. And this room is filled with people, us, that need wisdom. And I invite you to come and ask God for it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.